The following program contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. Two one two one two one two, ladies and gentlemen, be boys, be girls, be men, be women. The Get Off My Lawn podcast is back in full effect. This is your boy Jay, aka JC, aka Jay Caesar, aka Law T, aka the Hip Hop Taliban, and that's where you can find me on Twitter at Hip Hop Taliban. And I am joined, as promised. Bye. East Coast Dre, what up? What up? Uh, At Andre Cole, everywhere in the building. And he does mean everywhere. Everywhere. Andre Cole. I can't go anywhere in the social universe without bumping into At Andre Cole spoiling something for me. You might as well change your handle from At Andre Cole to At Black Spoiler Alert. Oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. <laughs> we'll get to that. But we also got the professor, Adolphus Belk, in the house. What's up? Peace. The people's prop is back. <laughs> yeah. Um, let everybody know where to find you uh, out there in the social media universe. They can get at me on Twitter at ABJRPHD. And I'm also on the book, but that's where I draw the line. I'm, I'm too old for Instagram and Snapchat <laughs> and all this other foolishness. So Twitter, Facebook, that's it, that's it, that's it. <laughs> what about you, uh, Dre? So let well, us know I'm, all the platforms you're, where we can find you. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but that's just for people I actually know in the world. Um, I'm on Snapchat, but I haven't snapped yet. I don't really? Know at Andre, I don't know if I'm at Andre Cole there. Though. I think I waited too long. Usually what happens if the social, some kind of social media platform comes out, 
I find out about it, I just go on there and take my name. That's usually what I do. Like, if it win, if it's good or not, I just, you're a prospector. Yeah, I'm a pro. I'm I'm a social media prospector. You'll be like, oh, we have this take my claim. Yeah, I just go take now, my claim. Get. I go in, go I now, get my get. name and bounce. Because because early on I did it and I didn't do it, and I would want to have my name places. Like I remember um, AOL Instant Messenger, and I kept like having to switch my name around, and people didn't know where to find me. So now I just go in and grab my name. I'm not sure if I'm Andre Cool on Snapchat. I think I waited too long, but yeah, pretty much there. But yeah, Twitter, Twitter was where I am. Apparently, spoiling things, which I try not to do. So wait, I think on I think on Snapchat you're at too old to be on Snapchat. I think that's your handle. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Oh man. Nice. That was a good one. I like that um, one. Okay. Here's the thing. You can never go wrong with Nelson Mark. <laughs> you never cannot. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> um that's the thing. I'm one of these people who you know, I do my TV viewing either um online or after the fact DVR or whatever. And because I can't see everything as it happens live and direct, I have to avoid Twitter. More specifically, I have to avoid Andre's thread or tweets because, Mr. Robot, you fucked that up for me. I did? <laughs> no, I did. Yeah. <laughs> How did I fuck up Mr. Robot? Like, no, let me let me say this. What I normally try to do is, if I tweet about something, I usually say, oh, that was a great scene, or that was incredible, or holy cow, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't actually say specifics on Twitter for a minute. So if I messed up Mr. Robot, which I'm, I mean, I'm missing right now because we're, we're doing this on a Wednesday. So you only got me until about the re-air time. <laughs> and then and then I'm out. Yeah, because you got to be online spoiling shit for people <laughs> no, I in can't Hawaii. Believe, I, did I really, I did I really tweet it? Nah. Like, given that appointment television is dead. <laughs> right incorporating yeah. the online experience is how people are building an audience because it's it's the one thing outside of athletics or news that people will watch live to have the experience like you don't want to be on social media after the fact you want to have that experience in real time so you watch the show right. when yeah. it originally airs yeah. yeah i mean i i'm just giving you a hard time um but I have looked at your feed and you'll say like if it I don't know um, if I look at my thing and at 6.32 p.m. I see that you say oh I can't believe that happened then I kind of know once I start watching the show 32 minutes in something extraordinary is going to happen so well um, that's not a sport see see now I know that you're thinking but that way I'm just going to start tweeting crazy shit all the time <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, it was amazing, and then it's gonna be like, it's gonna be dude sitting on the toilet taking a shit. Like I'm not, I'm good. Well, here's, but the other thing is that you actually you put me on to a lot because, um, in that intro, I played the instrumental to get money, and I don't watch VH1, um, except if I pass by and certain things happen to be being featured at the time and I catch a glance that I might have to 
hang out on VH1 for a minute or two. But I digress. Um, yeah, yeah, you talking about the Prince trivia, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had totally forgotten, didn't know <clears throat> that the VH1 Hip Hop Honors Show uh, was on a couple of weeks ago. And I saw Dre's titter feet. Titter. <laughs> See, that's what I'm tuning into VH1 for. Some titter. Some titter lip. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> I saw on Twitter, and Dre tweeted out that, um, oh, I can't believe. Who doesn't know that? That's a classic line. And I was like, uh-oh. Somebody, <laughs> somebody did something. So... I caught the replay later that night and of course as everyone basically knows by now inexplicably and I mentioned this before but inexplicably they had that mumble mouth motherfucker rich homie Quan looking real poor do Biggie's part on get money and he totally screwed it up. And I've got a little bit of it here that I'm going to play because... Uh, you I got did, receipts? <laughs> yeah. I did throw up a um, a quick little video. Uh, so I'll just play the first half of the, of the video just for those who may not be aware of what a, an atrocity this was. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Rich Homie Quan. Get money. Give it up for my boy Rich Homie. Get money. Yeah. You wanna sip more on my living room floor? Play Nintendo with these and Alamo. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't get any better from there, but I, I just don't get it. And I think, I don't know if before I called him big homie Quan, I guess he's rich homie Quan. I, please, please. (laughs) In one of the earlier episodes of the podcast, I think like the third episode, we had a whole thing. Where all we were asking was one question. English, motherfucker, do you speak it? <laughs> and Rich Homie Quan was one of the primary suspects. Because for those who are uh, unfamiliar, I'm gonna give you a little taste of Rich Homie Quan. Hey. I think it's a game. all i can take and once again i'll say english motherfucker do you speak it so when 
that is the person you're dealing with, then you know what, VH1? This is what you deserve. And as my son pointed out, Rich Homie Quan, he could have just mumbled and hummed. That's his thing. Just mumble and hum. But no, they wanted to get him out there and maybe it was an inside joke. Hey, who can we get to say a verse from one of the most lyrically astute, interesting rappers, MCs of all time? How about we get that guy who mumbles? That'll be real funny. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this. When, yeah. I, when he first started rapping and he said season Alamo, I thought he threw in a little ad lib. Yeah. I thought I was like, who's I was like, who's Alamo? Maybe that's his boy. So he was trying to and then he just stopped rapping. I was just like, no, no, no. You you're not going to that's I think I immediately tweeted, how do you like that's that's a verse that they're recording in New York City. He could have put the mic to the audience and the entire audience would have said that entire verse for him. There were at least 30 other rappers in that audience that could have jumped on the stage and done that verse for him. Like Fat Joe was there, Common was there. There were so many people who were there in the audience who could have did that verse. Buster was there. Buster knows that verse. Like it's See, a classic funny to verse. Be that, like, this is funny to me that Dre is throwing out life hacks for how to deal with the situation. Like, yo, just turn the mic to the crowd. He's right. Just turn though. the mic. He's throwing what? out. He's straight up throwing out MC life hacks. What to do when you forget the lyrics? <laughs> no, number and, and you're in New York. Number one, let the crowd say it. Right. Because because the, the crowd like that's and that was the crowd. It wasn't even like that was you know an older crowd. It was a younger crowd. But that that's testament to that verse from Biggie. Yeah. Like it's the first verse on a classic song. People know that. People know it. Yeah. And like, well, see, so this is know. where I it's come good. in. Um, you would think that after the Lupe fiasco debacle, oh my when he flubbed the the tribe <laughs> called Quest Joint, <laughs> you yep. would think that guys coming on after that would study up, right? Rich homie Quan, you had one job. Yep. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> right. You you listen to that joint when you get up in the morning. You listen to it when you drive around town. You go to sleep to it at night. And then if you feeling real nice, then you can ad lib and throw your homies in there and stuff like that. But you have to stay true to the source material. Right. It's a show, right? And this is the thing. If you're if you didn't come up listening to this artist, don't agree to be on the show. Yeah. Get out of the way for somebody right. who was really influenced by this dude, right? And so the step two. When, when Lupe messed up, he didn't own it. He was like, well, I didn't really listen to them. I was listening to Ice Cube and NWA and all the hard stuff. Oh, then don't shit. do the show. Yeah, then don't do the show. It's like, you know, don't have the, the people in your ear saying, well, this can be good to promote you. If your heart's not in it, don't do it. You know, Grace Jones would say, if the F don't feel right, then don't do it. Right. 
And that's where I call BS. You had one job, you screwed it up, and now you're getting dragged for it still after all this time. You're going to be known as the dude <laughs> right. there looking like skinny Bill Cosby. <laughs> they couldn't know the lyrics. <laughs> Damn. And, the thing of, and he had, apparently, he had three days from when he agreed to do it to when that show was. So you have three days to learn about about 16 bars. That he had apparently never heard before in his natural life. Right. Right. And, and, you, and you don't know it. He spent more time finding that damn Kooji sweater that he wore <laughs> right. and those Tims than, than, than doing the lyrics. Like, oh, you got to look down, but guess what? Yeah. It was way more than just that Kooji sweater and those Tims. Yeah, it was. It to me, it was just curious. Like, who decided this is the guy? But even after you picked and decided that's the guy, like allegedly, this is his job. His job is to go up <laughs> and perform. So I don't chalk it up to stage fright. I don't. I just right. chalk it up to he's not any good. And he got exposed. If you're not mumbling, you don't people know what to do. do. Things, but people can do things, but their heart's not in it, right? You know, I talk to my educator friends all the time about people at every level of the game, right? Elementary school, middle school, high school, college. They show up to work. They steal a check. They go home. They're just playing out the playing out the string until retirement. Their heart's not in it anymore, if it was ever in it. And they're just going through the motions, right? We know people that do that. So, you know, the money's good, you get the notoriety, the fame, and all the things that go along with it, and he might be more interested in those things <clears throat> than perfecting and mastering the craft. And I want to come to something you open you open with. You know, when a track when a track dropped and it was big, you knew it was big. You know it's Jada, you know it's MC Light, you know it's Latifa, you know, you know it was Guru, you know, you know immediately because they have their own sound. Yeah. One of my criticisms of trap music is that I don't know who I'm listening to. Because between the mumbling and the auto-tune, these dudes are indecipherable. I don't know who's on the track anymore. And I'm like, well, am I, am I just old? And that could be it, because I'm old now. But there's nothing distinctive about the voice or the flow. They sound like everyone else. And we've made this point before. And when you throw on, you know, a couple of bars from his track, it sounds like any other track music that you heard. And the the mumbling kills me because what happened to these days? Enunciate well. Dude, we can keep going, right? Go get a book, you illiterate son of a... <laughs> step up your vocab. Yeah. I don't slur my words when I rap because that's whack. Woo! <laughs> that was... The, the whole point of this conversation is cats didn't do their homework. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, that was bad. But here's where anybody who's been listening to the Get Off My Lawn podcast... Um, pretty much should know my feelings on most of this stuff but i'm gonna throw a little curveball because i think rich homie kwan in being so ill-prepared and making such a fool of himself by the way 
if you go back and look at the video, Fat Joe looks pissed off. He is not happy. Fat Joe, like he w- yeah, Fat Joe, like he wants to slap him. <laughs> the lucky and, Fat and Joe is up fat in the balcony. Joe, yeah, with his cool yeah. outs. Yeah, because Fat Fat Joe was that dude too. Yeah, <laughs> nice guy, but he's that dude. Um, but certain so, people you don't want to have upset with you, right? And just on a quick side note, who in the world, if you would have told me way back in the day when Flo Joe came out, that Fat Joe was still gonna be around like thirty years later making huge hits, I'd have thought you were crazy. All the way up, yeah, yeah, all the way. But that's up. good for him. Yeah. But yep, good for him. Yeah, and and Fat Joe trying to be here, man. He didn't got slim. Yeah, yeah. Fat so, Joe in name only. So, good job for Fat Joe. But back to this rich homie Quan thing. So, in his being ill prepared, and his making a fool of himself, and his proving me right about mumble mouth rappers, um, I think he inadvertently did little Kim a huge, huge favor. Because had he performed the song the way he was supposed to, we wouldn't be talking about him. We wouldn't remember him. What we would probably be talking about is little Kim. And I have no idea what is going on there. From the appearance to the clearly dressing too inappropriately for your age to the fact that had Rich Homie Kwan spit the verse correctly, um, let me just remind those who may have forgotten, who don't listen to hip-hop anymore, uh, this is what Rich Homie Kwan would have been saying had he said the verse correctly. Let's just take a little listen. Now, 
everybody knows the song, and I've made statements before about <clears throat> you can rap about whatever you want to rap about, and if you do it with a level of skill and lyricism, then that's one thing. And I've heard some very foul topics, and I can categorize things and put them like, okay, this is this kind of rap, this is this kind of rap. But there's certain times when you have to draw the line. And I don't think at an event that's designed to celebrate women in hip hop that you really want to set it off with with a song where the guy's talking about beating the woman, uh, rape allegations, um, pointing guns at her. It just, it's very inappropriate among a lot of things that were inappropriate in relation to little Kim. And so by that token, I think that rich homie Quan kind of did her a favor. He took the heat because I don't know how much of the verse he would have been performing. Obviously he wouldn't have been saying, uh, the curse words, but it really, really wasn't appropriate. And you could tell that I'm going to go so far as to say little Kim didn't have any business being honored with the other three. Well, with salt and pepper and then, uh, and then the others, but I don't know. What do you guys think? That's an interesting read. Um, and I say it's an interesting read because when you frame it like that, it sounds like the sort of tribute to women that would have been concocted by Ike Turner and OJ Simpson. <laughs> oh, damn. I mean, it's terribly, it's terribly troublesome, right? You're talking about domestic abuse. You're talking about extramarital affairs or at least stepping outside of a relationship. There's verbal abuse. There's physical abuse. There's gunplay. There's drug trafficking. You know, and the only basis for the love, if there was any love in this relationship, was the extent to which the woman, the woman in question, displayed an unflinching loyalty and bent herself to his will. Mm. You know, and women of any stature, right, have to be taught at a young age. You know, girls have to be taught at a young age. Don't bend yourself to a man. Don't make yourself smaller to make a man feel comfortable, not physically, not mentally. And then we have to teach these boys, this is the code of behavior. If you're going to be a man, this is how you carry it, right? Now, you know, 20 something years ago when I'm listening to this track, when it came out, even then it's kind of like, whoa, that's hard. And that's when you know you're evolving because the things that would have amused you as a child, you put those things away. It's time to put away child respect. And so, yeah, if if it were not for Rich Homie Kwan's classically poor performance, that's something that would have been deconstructed. Because when you talk about some of the other women who were honored, you know, they did represent a spectrum, but they were also trying to do some other things. And Kim kind of went in a different direction. And I think her physical transformation is a reflection of all the abuse that she suffered over the course of her life, formal and informal. At the hands of men. What, and what I thought right. you were gonna, where I thought you were gonna, gonna go with that was that Kim also forgot lyrics to one of her songs as well. So she was up there, she forgot one of her songs. But as far as the dedication to the women and the MCs up there, I think, and here I go on my TV production stuff, 
they did a piss poor job at the end where Latifah's on the stage and she's singing you and ITY and all these women MCs were on the stage on top of the boxes and they were all standing there. Did you realize there was no camera shot of each and every person on that stage? <clears throat> like they flubbed the dead they flubbed the dedication, the honoring of all of these MCs. Because you didn't see, you had like a far shot, and then she was talking about sweet tea. You didn't even see sweet. Well, I saw sweet yeah. tea. I like sweet tea. Hey, sweet tea. But you didn't even see like. So I was just like, what, I was like, what part of you know where the honoring come from? Like, what, and these women or the women that were on the stage um, at the end hadn't been honored before. Some of the women who were the honorees had been honored before. Then you have, like you said, you have. Some of the misogynistic stuff that was happening. It, it was very interesting choices being made for that show. Well, I mean, the the Latifah part at the end, that was the best part. And from, I was just relieved that that's how they ended it. Because Me even too. just with the names up there, I mean, they had yep. uh, Sequence, Shy Rock, Sugar T, Rod Digger, Rage. Yep. They brought Boss out there. Mercedes they ladies. had boss crazy right and i mean and i was that's why yeah. i was mad because they didn't shut they, they didn't get like the and there's a way to do it there's a there's a steady camp shot that we can get every last person their shot and they kind of pushed them to the side and i was like that was like that was that was the moment for me when you, all these women came out on the stage that was my i was like that's what i wanted to see and they yeah. they kind of they fumbled it yeah, you, you had this opportunity to chronicle and record for like all posterity, right? Right. Because you, you know, uh, and, and I'm saying this now as, you know, a middle-aged man who's a father, who has also had to attend going home ceremonies for elders and mentors and everything else, right? You never know if you'll have a chance to get all of those people together again on that stage. You know what Amen. I'm saying? And, and it's not even because they're older, but just random crazy stuff happens. Like, you know, 2016 has been brutal. We we buried Prince. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And who saw that coming? So you, you had a chance to do justice by these women to document their contribution to the art form that we still love, even if we're critical of it at times. And it, it was messed. And that's really unfortunate. And the, the part of it is, I was, like, forget Rich Homie Quan. I was embarrassed for Little Kim because I know that Salt and Pepper have had issues where, for a while, Salt was like, you know, I don't want to perform Push It or certain songs in their catalog, which are mild in comparison. But... I felt just bad for little Kim having to come out there. I mean, she didn't have to, but coming out there and her catalog is so filthy and largely ridiculous, but there are lots of male MCs who have, if they had to come out there and perform, it would just be like, I didn't see when too short got honored, but you know, he'd come out there with a filthy, ignorant catalog. But when you're next to Queen Latifah, who can still, aside from being a fantastic MC, can still spit any of the rhymes from her first album on through, you know, whenever it was she stopped rapping. And 
there's a whole different aura. There's a different presence. There's a different presentation that was there from the beginning. I was proud when I saw Queen Latifah up there. I was I was proud when she brought out all the various MCs. Little Kim kind of it just made the whole spec. It just made me cringe. It was just like that that time for you is over and it was fleeting and it fleeted about 20 years ago well let me let me say this um and this is where we have to be careful if we think about men being on television or in film men can grow older like if you think about your news anchors a man's allowed to grow older and it's said that he becomes more distinguished right that he can sort of ease into and maintain his handsomeness you know people are going all crazy over these jeff goldblum flicks where he's, he's sporting the salt and pepper hair and beard and looking like the most interesting man in the world you look at film you can age in film and still maintain a presence right but for women that's not the case and if we look at something like you know eroticism hugh hefner was you know puddling smut all the way through and still rocking the silk PJs in the robe, and you know, and that's cool. No, but it's not. Woman can't... He looked, he looked ridiculous. I, I can see your your point is exactly correct. And I'm not. I mean, Hugh Hefner looks ridiculous when Ice Cube comes out there. Like I can, I can no longer suspend my disbelief when family friendly Ice Cube comes out there singing "Fuck the Police." Like I can't just stop. You just stop with the gangster shit it's just stop you're ridiculous it's over but my point over. is if you're going to level that criticism you have to level that criticism across the board right because i think a lot of times when it comes to women mcs they get boxed in by constructions of what men think is appropriate for them to do and how to comport themselves and everything else you know we're policing their sexuality we're policing their imagery and you know kim came through at a time in hip-hop where she was rapping like a man rapping like a woman to be heard by men. To me, in some levels, it kind of reminded me of what women like Asada Shakur and others had to put up with when they were members of the Black Panther Party. And they said that if we were going to be heard as women in that very male-dominated, um, you know, misogynistic space, we couldn't say, well, brother, I think we need to do this and that. You had to say, look, mother, after the years I was going down, that you had to be really, really hard if you were going to be hurt. And remember, her, her career, her ascendancy maps right over top of the explosion of hardcore hip hop. And so if you were a woman trying to be heard in that moment, yeah, you had to be hard like the dudes. Now, does it look old and stale when she's on the other side of 40? Sure it does. But, you know, she was a product of the moment. And I, and I, and I think we should give her, um, we should give the women space to have that, have that, uh, the, that 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 difference like so right. you can have a latifah and you can have a a you know a sexy or sexual or you know somebody who might say something that some people might think is crass in their in their in their delivery like little kim because when tiana taylor came out and did those little kim songs she killed it and it was it, and it reminded you of those 90s that 90s era when you know you had the sexy angry women um, sorry, somebody was looking at me, <laughs> but at the at the time, so it's just it's just. 
so it's just you know it's just a time when you you know you have to you have to be able to give the women the chance to have that stuff so if you're going to honor nwa and stuff that they say you can still have little kim and even though she looks ridiculous and trying to compete what i think is trying to compete with with Nicki minaj and wearing some of the stuff mm -hmm. that she's wearing you don't have she doesn't have to do that anymore you know what i'm saying you don't have you can still kick your looks you don't have to wear the 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 leotard you don't have to try to compete with beyonce beyonce's you know 10 15 years younger than you you don't have to do that anymore you can chill like you can wear something nice and still say your heart or sexual lyrics and you know keep it moving but see even if i'm if i'm gonna be accurate and you know i want to be and level the criticism across the board fairly here's the thing for sports fans to me i look at little kim as the Michael Irvin of hip hop because <laughs> here's the my take for those who know Michael Irvin is a Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver who played with the Dallas Cowboys and statistically he should not be in the Hall of Fame ahead of many other people his in my opinion his big contribution to the game is catching an 11 yard pass for a first down and then celebrating and doing a little gyration and gesture he introduced celebrating the routine celebrating the ordinary and he basically laid the blueprint for every modern superstar wide receiver who's come after him um, little Kim, uh, she was, she came out, her and Foxy Brown, you can argue who was first and who was second, but she came out there with the hardcore sex rhymes and, uh, extremely scantily clad. Like it was, that was her thing. And when you look at a Nicki Minaj or any other you know you can name several other um female mcs who came after her they're like little kim's daughters daughters of little kim and i don't know what other than that i don't see what her big contribution was because after biggie died all of a sudden she stopped spitting heat so ah uh, not so fast my friend where? Yeah, she Quiet has some Storm joints. Remix, the Quiet Storm Remix with Mob D. Okay, yeah. Not only did she destroy the track, she took over the hook. She had flashes after that. But dude, think about it this way, man. And this is where this one thing with the award show that we have not discussed, you know, for her and Faith to be on the same stage and in the same form, after yeah, all of big. those conflicts over, over big, that was big, man, because that's something that's hard yeah, to get over. But this was a man yeah. that they both clearly loved, right, in a romantic way. And he's taken from them. And this is someone that you love. This is someone you work with. This is someone that mentored you. He talked about how Kim was hungrier than anyone else in the Junior Mafia crew. And that she wanted to be great. Yeah, you lose someone like that. It can derail, forget your career. It can derail your life. 
you know, think about all the other people that we've seen in sports and entertainment, politics, society, who lose someone close to them, that kept them on the straight and narrow, and then their career, their lives just spin out of control. You know, an immediate mind, you know, example that comes to mind is Mike Tyson and Customato. So yeah, um, I could see how her lyrical dexterity, performance, focus, and everything else just kind of falls off after this tragic event. And afterwards, she showed flashes, but she was she was never the same MC again. I mean, when I went back to look, like the Quiet Storm remix, yes, I, I granted, that's all I could come up with. Um. And I mean, it's a, Charlie Baltimore. She had some heat when Biggie was alive and then Biggie died. And now we never heard anything from, you know, again, I just think the highest point for women in hip hop, though, like it was crazy. But in the 90s, every major crew had a female MC on the roster. And we thought that this was the opening of a new era. And it ended up being the closing of an era. Yeah. You don't wait. have women MCs on major deals anymore. Open, wait, you're saying Little Kim opened that door? No, I'm saying that the door was open. We're thinking that this is going to be this major, this major movement, and it ended up being an ending, not a beginning. So the door was open by MCs that came much, much sooner than Kim. But what we thought was a revolution ended up being an ending. You know, think about that. There were more women on major deals in hip hop in the mid '90s than there are now. The numbers yeah, was now a, are abysmal. It was a requirement that you had a, a, a female amongst the male MCs in the crew. So you had your yep. Foxy, you had your Little Kim, you had your Charlie Baltimore, you, you had, had your Mia, uh, X. Mia X, you had your Million. A million, right. Everybody, you had to have a woman because you had to have who, who was the queen of the of the crew at the time. And then all of a sudden, you didn't. They didn't need the queen anymore. Nope. Well, hell, they they we barely have groups anymore. Everybody's a right. solo MC. Yeah, but if you of the people, Little Kim, Foxy Brown. Again, if we're gonna say that, I don't even want to say they revolution they came out with something totally different and again they laid the blueprint for the Nicki Minaj's that we see now but they did like that wasn't the move it's like I guess what we'll eventually get into when we get back to these charts prior to that you had the Latifas the MC Lights the people who had the they happened to be women with X-Clan yeah, they happen to be women, but they were MCs. Mm-hmm. Then well, you I mean, get you get into this gimmick. All the guys were picking up these hard gimmicks. We talked about Boss in the other episode. She picked up a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Little Kim's gimmick was sexuality, selling sex, and it worked. She became popular, you know, but it was a gimmick nonetheless. And then once and people then- tire of the gimmick. Right. Then you're gone. Yeah, yeah. the big thing can sell sex. Common sells sex. Drake is selling sex. Yeah, and I criticize oh. them. I haven't Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know if Drake is selling sex. Drake is selling emotion. <laughs> I don't know. He's oh, selling his he, feelings. He's just, 
But <laughs> it's funny, man, because I look at Drake in some ways as an evolution of Kane and Comet. He can be the battle rapper when he needs to be. We've seen that now. But it's really like, hey, girl, let me um, read some Daughters of the Dust with you and break down <laughs> the material. Yeah. That's funny. Now, here's a question because Lauren Hill, she was pre, she was post Foxy and Kim or right. They, had, they came first, right? They came first, but not by much. I would describe Lauren Hill more as a contemporary. But Lauren Hill comes from a different stream, right? Like Lauren yeah, Hill skills. It's, no, but I mean, it's like it's like talking about who's the greatest black comedian, right? Or greatest comedian. You know, you have a bunch of people that are trying to be the heir to Richard Pryor and everyone wanted to put it on Eddie Murphy. But Eddie Murphy was a completely different type of comedian. It was sex jokes. Richard Pryor was about politics and social commentary, right? So right. Dave Chappelle lines up closer to Richard Pryor than Eddie Murphy, but people wanted to put it on Eddie Murphy. I look at Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill comes from the tradition of MC Light and Moni Love and Lynn Q and women who were conscious and aware, right? She comes from that tradition. And so she emerges alongside them. She's with them, but she's not of them. She is a she's in a completely different lane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. An MC with skills and talent who's not relying upon a gimmick to, you know, be her crutch and, to get her noticed. And what? Wasn't she enrolled at Columbia? So I'm just yeah, saying she was, not, she's in a different lane. I'm not sure, but I know she. I know she's way more skilled and talented. I know I can quote. Well, go ahead, go ahead. That's that's unfair though. That that's unfair. You can't. You Which can't part? Tweet. The, the 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 comparing Lauren Hill to. I mean, Lauren Hill was way more skilled and talented than the people that were in her group. Like yes, she was basically. more skilled and talented than, than the men. Than, yes, than half the men out. That's why she stood out. Like she yes. Was, I mean, I mean. That's unfair. That's like saying, yo, <laughs> that's like saying, yo, Dre, I know you run, but this Usain Bolt guy is better than you. Like, you can't, do, like, you can't, like, they, she came out around the same time, but she was just so talented. She was so talented. And I say was, yeah, you know, she's, still, she's still talented, still there. But. Dre, your man Graves is up here like, Plato, Socrates, <laughs> Aristotle, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm just saying. Right now, if we were having if we were having a draft and we had to pick, and I said, "Here are the three people you can pick from: Lauren Hill, Little Kim, and Mia X." Who are you taking on your your lyrical battle team first? Oh, I'm taking Lauren Hill because I've seen for years, dude. After after the miseducation of Lauren Hill, and I heard everything is everything. Her verse on that track in that moment said to me, if she wanted to be, she could be the greatest MC of all time. If she wanted to be. Yeah, her and most deaf if they wanted to be, but they don't want to be. Well, well, but I feel that even more than most deaf, I feel that way about Andre 3000. Like if he wanted to be, but he doesn't want to be. Of all time. Doesn't want to be. If you if you wanted to be, if if you wanted to be. You know, Lauren decided that other things were important to her, like raising her babies. I mean, that's fine. And, you know, they, they forecasted that, right? You know, they joked on the on the second Fuji's album that she was going to be somewhere with a million kids. Yeah. With like 12 know, kids. Babies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's that was what she wanted. I'm just, I guess my point in coming back to it, if I'm going to be leveling criticism 
across the board from a skills and rhyming perspective. I don't have Little Kim anywhere on my list anywhere other than she ushered in this era that we're suffering through. Because apparently when I'm flipping the channels and I'm and I happen to slip up and land on VH1, these love and hip hop shows, aside from the fact I don't recognize any of the people who are supposed to be the hip hop people, all of the women are clearly cut from the Little Kim cloth, like Little Kim, like version 5.0. Like, I've heard a couple of them rap on the show. They're horrible. They're awful and atrocious. But a lot of the men are horrible, awful, and atrocious too. But these women are clearly using the Little Kim gimmick. They went to the gimmick store and said, give me two Little Kims. And that's what they're doing. I mean, I don't know. I just... uh, You can have a gimmick if you want, but display some skills. Please. Please display some skills. Um... Ah, uh, I was about to throw out a KRS one quote right there, but given his stance on Africa Bambata, I decided not to. Mm-hmm. And I know, yeah. I know, I'm gonna get flamed up by uh, one listener in particular because I wasn't expecting this portion of the uh, discussion to extend to this point, but I know I'm gonna hear that shit. I don't mean that shit. I'm gonna hear that legitimate. Uh, complaint and criticism and critique of why you three motherfuckers on there you need to get some women on there then you can have a real discussion about these issues and that's true but the premise of the podcast is kind of give you a look at old black dudes (laughs) former hip-hop heads and you know what we're talking about it kind of gives you a peek and yes uh that's the barbershop female voices are welcome and necessary to actually round out and give us a full robust discussion but that's not what we're having here we're having a little boys club meeting and i know i'm going to catch heat for this and i and you know who you are you know who you are so when you decide to listen to this and call me up and complain i know i know i apologize i apologize I mean, you know, we're kind of whack for that, but at the same time, it's not like we're the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Because <laughs> right. Belk and I just sat here defending little Kim. Right? I mean, I was a good amount of time. I got married and had a daughter, you know what I'm saying? Here we go. Boom. And I sat there bashing her. But I was trying to bash her like I bash all other whack MCs, which she is. Um, oh, no. Hyperbolic. I'm a, I'm a monster. Hyperbolic. Um, well, as we sort of ease off of that, um, the last time, well, man, was it the last time that uh, the three of us were together? Is that when we did 1993? Yes, sir. Wow. Yep. Yep. So that's been, it's been quite a while, but guess what? We're about to get back on the case because about five years ago, we started looking at the billboard charts and 
taking a look at all of the songs that reach number one in the rap hip-hop category. And we've been going through every song beginning in 1989-1990 and trying to figure out when exactly hip-hop went off the rails. Because something went wrong because... The first time. The first time? Yeah. The first time. I mean, once it went off, it just it went off the rails and then sped down a hill and went off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> then it exploded, okay. <laughs> chip style, and <laughs> whoever crawled out of the wreckage got eaten by zombies. So I'm just saying, we went from where we were to where we are now. And something happened. So what we wanted to do was look at these charts and try to figure out if we could identify any trends, any uh, significant moments, any drastic changes. And in our 1993 episode, which if you haven't heard it, you can go to iTunes, get off my lawn, uh, or go to The Liberator, T-H-A-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-O-R.com, and you can uh, download the companion worksheet in PDF form uh, with the billboard charts on it. And you can also go back and listen to the 1993 episode because that was really seemed to be a turning point. And... Now, we are up to 1994, and in looking at 1994, I'm realizing that we are not going to have to do many more of these, because (laughs) it's clear, (laughs) like, (laughs) the shit is haywire already, and it's just a matter of... It's like when somebody's in the hospital and they're brain dead and they have organ failure and a machine's just keeping them alive. Like, they're not really alive. They're just waiting for you to have the courage to pull the plug. Um, and looking at these charts, and looking at these charts, uh, you know, hip hop seems like its organs have failed. And <laughs> we just need to pull the plug on the whole damn thing. But as we look at 1994, I'll remind you that we ended um, 1993 with one, two, three, four, five weeks of salt and pepper. Shoot. What's up, salt? You looked you looked incredible (laughs) on the on the awards. And had I known, you know, I'd have been there to. Blow kisses Shoot. and give my love. Um, <coughs> I love you. <laughs> I'll be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so we had, that's funny. So we had five weeks of Shoop at number one, and then end of the year with Snoop Dogg. What's my name? As we enter 1994. Um, Snoop is still number one on the charts for the first, uh, two, two weeks of 1994. What's my name? Snoop. 
And then, wow, one, two, three, four, five, six. The next six weeks, six weeks, the next month and a half is dominated by an MC. Um, unfortunately, I have to. Wait, take... whoa, 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 whoa. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said MC. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Too generous. Whoa. Damn. I'm not. Nope. He checked my ass. Is it Drake? Is it Drake? That's what they say every single motherfucking day. Damn. I stand corrected. Sorry. Six weeks. Uh, rapper. Singer. Yeah. Distinction. Rapper. Singer. Domino. Like, the song is Ghetto Jam, and uh, should I play some of it? Is that necessary, or do we all do give we him thirty all seconds? Remember, give him thirty seconds. Give him thirty give, seconds. Give him uh, domino and the get yeah. the Ghetto Jam is about to slam. Oh man. If there was anyone who was not around in 1994 when this was getting played, consider yourself lucky. Let me see if I can uh, pick it up here. I'll just. Here we go, here we go, as the tune starts to loop in the back, back, back. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three, if this is OJ, the brakes with the movie, yeah, yeah. The ghetto jam is about to stand with some notes from the biggest. Could you guys hear that? Yep. You could? Oh, I, I apologize. Oh, no, I clear. Now, what's wild, man, is he's still making music. Is he? What? What? Yeah, he's still making music, man. I just did a quick search on him, and he had a 2016 release. Wow. I hope he released it straight into the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> because that's where this belongs. That's how you really feel. I mean, I only Tell played a few really I only played a few seconds of that because from the uh, software here, I wasn't sure that it that you guys could even hear it. So I heard it loud and clear and I mean, you know, we look at what's happening right now, right? Like ninety three was a year where the West Coast emerges strong. Yeah. And Snoop really kicks that door in, right? And then yeah. right after Snoop, here comes Domino. And as we go through the year, you're going to see Snoop over and over again because that was a classic album and he had a lot of material. Yeah. So Domino and the Ghetto Jam, it's about to slam with some help from the ding and See, that's, how, that's what Rich Homie Quan was supposed to do. Right. Right. <laughs> Just hey, right. Hey, 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 hey. Um, right after 
Domino, we get Spinderella, Peppa, and My Girl Salt coming back with What a Man. And Are you going to forget Dawn from In Vogue? Oh, yeah, her too. Because In Vogue was on the track. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't like it. But it wasn't for you. I know, but I still didn't like it. <laughs> Chris Thomas, the mayor of Rap City, didn't give me any choice. He'd put it on and there was no internet, so I'd have to watch, but yeah, I did I didn't like it. I think it's one of those songs that you know. It's you the was right, just mad because it's the right Tupac thing to was do. rubbing up on salt in the video. Was he? Yeah. Hmm. I don't remember. Y'all sit up here like, hey, 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 they made this song for an audience that other than, you know, men. That's fine. I just don't like the song. I don't like it at all. I like it about mm, a fraction of a percentage more than I like Gangster's Paradise, which I hate. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. I'm finding anything else to do or listen to when either of those two songs comes on. But hey, that's just me. Stunned silence. Uh, well, I, it was a, I thought it was, a, it was a positive song. The sisters made a positive song about the guys. Um, it was interesting. You know, they had the in vogue on it. It was, it was a cool song. It My is. wife loves that song. So. Of course she does. Right, it was for her. It was positive and it was nice, but I don't as a rep, I just don't like it. I mean, I this mean, is on one level. It's like it's like they were trying to do a hip hop version of Alicia Myers. I want to thank you, right? Mm-hmm. Right, like that's kind of what they were trying to do, you know? Because right. who who hasn't been there when you know you've been dating and you've been going one dud going a day and another dud 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 <laughs> and then somebody finally comes along and it's like yo you understand me man it's like it's like you know one of my wife's relatives man um one of her little cousins had his little girlfriend at school whatever right and his mom didn't really like the girl and so she's like well why are you with her right you know thinking that the boy could do better you know aesthetically intellectually everything right uh-huh. and he just said with so much feeling she understands me oh <laughs> like wow. like people i mean so it just hits right so so they make that record and there's a reason why it's number one because that resonated with a lot of sisters right who finally felt like their ship had come in i want to thank you heavenly father oh wow shining your light on me they had a the moment, moment man Let the professor with the falsetto right you know, dude, man, James is up here like the people hating on Pokemon Go, and it's like, bro, why can't you just let people have fun? No, 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 it's fine. I'm agreeing. Message A plus, um, positivity meter off the charts. It's fine. I just don't like it. 
I just don't, don't like, like it. it. I don't like it. That don't mean that I'm hating. That don't mean that I'm hating. It just means I don't like well, it. Well, actually, it does mean that you're hating because it was a, it was a good record, man. Really? Would you like the next song? Well, hang on. Wait. What is it? What a man. What a man. Maybe. I mean, maybe I'm not remembering it is uh george bush maybe i'm misremembering or whatever <laughs> because you ain't got no love in your heart man <laughs> let me see let me see you ain't got no love you got no love in your heart let me see let me let me see what it's it's got maybe i've forgotten something let's see hey, yeah. oh, right. okay and looking at the video i realized there are yeah James. Yeah. James, stop staring at Salt. Yeah, I'm trying to yeah, change the YouTube setting. <laughs> Alright, let let's skip to the first. Focus. Let me skip to a first. The only thing that was bad about that track was the verse from Cinderella. Oh, yeah, she's in the rap now. I want to have your baby. All right. <laughs> See? I'm just playing. Um, See? And what the... Yeah, at what point did the DJ become... Like, why isn't she behind the wheels of steel? Because that was a time when all the DJs was trying to throw a verse out. Yeah. Remember that? That was when okay. the DJs, Pete Rock, everybody was rhyming. Dude, we could even stay in that moment, man. Your man Maceo plus yep. three started exactly. spitting bars. Really? Yeah. Yes. Daylight's dead? Yeah. But he didn't come out from behind the tables, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> I just don't like the song. I think I want to have your... Like, I, it's not for me. I get it. <clears throat> it's not for me. I'm not the core audience, and I don't like it. I hate it. Because you hate love. <laughs> you hate love. I really hate myself. Um, you hate love. <laughs> Dude, you like, you holding it down for the bachelors and the crew, man. Like, everybody else is living vicariously through you at this point in our lives. Nah, nobody's living nothing through me. <laughs> uh, sad and this quiet. You're going to be the old dude at the club at 55 where everybody know you got your spot at the bar. Talking about what a man, what a man. So, after Salt and Pepper held it down for two weeks, um, then the next two weeks, Snoop Dogg with Gin and Juice rolling down the street. Snoop, 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 Snoop. Um, this was a West Coast revival because by this time, the Chronic had been out, uh, Snoop had been introduced to the hip-hop community and he was just sort of running roughshod over the west coast the g-funk was uh sort of taken over i think we'd already had the the east coast ain't got no love for snoop dog dr dre no, no that was that was some that came that was 95 that was 95 that was 95 yeah. wow don't sell them short though because that snoop album was banging across the nation yeah. yeah. Like, because that was the year 
you know, 93, that was the year we, you know, my crew, we got to the Q's. Yeah. You know, so for the listeners might not be familiar, you know, the this triumvirate, you know, we all crossed paths in the early 90s at Syracuse University, the frozen tundra of central New York. And, you know, when when we got to the yard, when, when my class got to the yard in fall 93, the big albums that came out were Onyx, Snoop, Tribe, Outkast. Yep. Yeah. And so Snoop was banging and... I remember, man, they were like Asian Indian dudes in my dorm that were coming home from Chuck's wasted because they had been drinking gin and juice all night because Snoop said so. Wow. And that was back when Snoop was actually, he was spitting. Now, again, it Mm -hmm. goes back to that thing about, you know, the subject matter um, I might not agree with, but if you're spitting your lyrics in clever ways he kind of had that uh mixture of a west coast and a down south kind of style uh he was making (laughs) he was making up words um but he was flowing and you know for whatever he eventually turned into which is pretty much a joke um oh y'all like flute line oh he he gave that he he took that Took that back to the gimmick store and traded it back in. Now he's Snoop Dogg again. That didn't work out. It didn't. That gimmick didn't fit right. So he went to Party City and got his money back. Um, but no, on on this album, he was spitting, and on Gin and Juice, he was definitely uh, dropping something. Let me see if I can get a little bit. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop Double G, but I. Somehow, some way, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for the G's and make a few ends as I breeze through. Two in the morning and the party still jumping cause my mama ain't home. I got bitches in the living room getting it on and they ain't leaving till six in the morning. So what you want to do? Shit, I got a pocket full of rubbers and my homeboys do too. So turn off the lights and close the door. But for what? We don't let them hide. Yeah. So we gon' smoke an ounce to this. Jeans up, hoes down. Why you motherfuckers bounce to this? Yeah. Um, another individual who, if he wasn't a caricature of a rapper, it would just be. It, I mean, it's ridiculous anyway, because he's older than we are. And he's still making music like this. He's just. He's just a joke. And he's making music like this with the same content, but without the skill. It's like, Jesus, come on, man. But back in 1994, for the first or for the middle two weeks of March, Snoop was holding it down. Gin and juice. Um, Then after that. One, two, three, four, five, six. The next six weeks. Outcast. With players ball. Man. Man. All the players came from far and wide. Went and frozen braids, kicking them gangster rock. JC with the falsetto. There's a better (laughs) way. (laughs) When the players ball is happening all day, every day. Yeah, you'll be next. (laughs) Man, it's interesting. Um, 
you know, we talk about how crazy this year has been, right? I remember listening to Andre talk about Fife after Fife passed away. And he was like, man, we love Tribe so much. It was like when we were trying to break through, you know, we were rolling around in the old, you know, hooped up Cadillac, burning that tape out. And then our our management, our label, they wanted us to be a Southern version of Tribe, even though we were trying to be who we were. And so, you know, there was the reverence, there was the respect, but they created their own lane. And in doing so, man, they brought an entire region of the country with them so much so, you know, you know, I think about, you know, where I live, work and play now, I'm based in the South and, you know, all these civil war crazies down here would like to say the South will rise again. Well, they had no idea that it would be through black people and hip hop, because once the South got a hold of hip hop, that stranglehold has not been relinquished so much so that even New York rappers and up North rappers are trying to sound like Southern rappers because that's who they've been influenced by. Yeah, but much like the uh, female MCs who had a choice between Lauren Hill or Little Kim, those rappers, they picked the wrong Southern rappers to emulate. I wish they would have <laughs> been more like Outkast and less like Juvenile. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait. Whoa. 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 Because. Uh. Huh? Whoa, Wody. Because Juvenile, you picked the wrong one. Juvenile of that group. I picked the wrong was, one, huh? Because Juvenile of that group was one of the ones that was actually a lyricist. He yeah, was the one that was actually BG. <laughs> Yeah, he was the one that was actually writing like lyrics. Like he was the talented guy. And he had his we went went south with all the drugs he used, but he was the guy that was like writing lyrics. He got he got popular off that Ha song, but he was the one that was putting words together. And Paper Chaser was fire, by the way. And Paper Chaser was fire. You but I will, say about, yeah. that, I will say about Plays Ball, I didn't really like that song when it came out. There was better stuff not. on that album. House from New York. Cause you still cause you still had your East Coast bias. You still had your fat goose. <laughs> you know you New York people, you guys didn't want to give any love to anybody outside of the tri-state area for a long time for a I long time talking about hip-hop with people from outside <laughs> of new york but stuff but just will, like I, that I, I right. was there. but i will say but it was but it was this song though like i liked other songs it was this song i don't know what it was maybe it was a falsetto i don't know what it was i thought the guys the rhyme i don't know maybe it was the video i don't know i just didn't really like this song i was so just dre, like yeah it's something right but it, you know, what's up dre where where did you first hear this because new york radio wasn't playing anything where did you hear this song? Radio City. See, you know what? It was Video Music Box. Yeah. I was going to say, it was had to be in Video Music Box. Had to be in Video yeah. Music Box. Video Music Box and Ralph McDaniels and the Vig Kid introduced me to hip hop from all over the country. That was where I got put on the Outcast, the Roots, NWA, Commons, anything outside of New York. So I take umbrage, JC, to your broad, baseless characterization of these particular New York hip-hop heads being anti-everything. Put your Timberlands on and tell them about it. <laughs> Dude, Listen. I will take off my Timberlands was, right. to reveal another pair of Timberlands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then man. I will go Rick James on your couch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah, I know when we get to it, I mean, at some point, I don't think we'll be getting to it on these charts because uh, we're not gonna go that deep, but I was sitting in the student center watching the big TV with all the <clears throat> representatives from the various boroughs around me, including the fake five percenters with their big giant survivalist backpacks and their Timberlands and their whatever and their knowledge and math. When that dog pound video came on, when Snoop and the dog pound were kicking over buildings, buildings. <laughs> they lost their mind. You would have thought someone walked in and slapped their mama. I mean, they were outraged. They wanted to file a file a formal complaint with BET on the spot. I just and then they looked at me like, "What do you think?" And I just like, "Hey, hey, hey! I'm just I'm just here in between classes." <laughs> they were gonna stomp me out like one of those '90s rap videos. Nah, I was gonna be like, "Don't be a menace to South Central." <laughs> right. Your face would have been in the pavement. Yeah. Stomp you real flat. Man, I mean, but this is the thing, right? Everybody, you know, you have people who ride and die for their little section of earth, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's that level of, of tribalism that exists across communities where people attach themselves to things because it becomes a way of elevating themselves in their own self-esteem, right? Well, if I haven't necessarily done anything great or noteworthy, I can attach myself to people who are doing great noteworthy things and kind of shine off of their shine. You know, that's the whole psychology behind sports standards. You know, people yeah. develop this affinity for the team and it becomes a part of their identity. And with hip hop, you know, people wanted to be that thing. And, you know, I look at the place of New York and hip hop sort of like, you know, the, you know, if we're going to go with the colonial model, you know, they're like the British Empire. It's over. <laughs> the British will never be what they were ever again. It's over. New yeah. York will never be the hip hop what it was. It is over. Yeah. But I will. that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that people won't come out from time to time and shine and do great things. But it means that the the sort of hegemonic control that the city had over the music that will never happen again. Yeah. And <clears throat> for as much as I, you know, just clowning around here, but being in New York at that particular point in time, there was no place else uh, I would rather have been as a fan of hip hop because, I mean, you had. When I got there, Nas wasn't around, but Nas came up, Wu-Tang came up, Biggie, and just, it was just a really, at the at that time, it was clearly the epicenter of the hip-hop universe. I mean, things were beginning to change. We were starting to hear quality voices and new sounds from other places, but <clears throat> in the early 90s, yeah, New York. That was that was the place to be. And uh, but by 1994, as we look at these charts, oh wait, 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 I'm sorry. I can't, I can't just let this ride because I'd hate myself in the morning. Juvenile, because maybe we're not talking about the same 
person is this the guy who is like you you don't know how to read huh you 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 went down to the store huh that guy that's the guy who you're saying oh wait he was the lyricist i mean maybe by southern standards I know oh I just gosh. took shots at a whole <laughs> region. Bow, 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 right. Bow. So you took a whole you lot of shots like, just now. You act like your people ain't come from that dirt. <laughs> like straight up. You act like you act like one of these new black people. Next thing though, he's gonna be my, saying my all lives matter. came over on the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Right. Oh, my people like pure, all lives matter. Pure Castilian blood. No nappy head. No, I'm sorry. respect the gangster and their business acumen for the way that they managed their product and the way that they dominated the industry. Cash money. That, no, that's a whole other but issue. But everyone had their role, right? Everyone had their role. Manny Fresh was making the beats and Juvenile was writing rhymes. It was like he was their version of Q. I yep. let's not let's not you know. <laughs> get I didn't say he no. was Cube. I said he was their version of Cube. Listen to like, like the professor said. Listen to Paper Chaser. Listen to those. Listen to some that, old Is that this one? No, that's hot. That's hot. It doesn't even rhyme. The fuck. It does rhyme, but you just gotta huh? listen to that. That's listen like Spanish to... rappers who rhyme who rhyme the O. <laughs> Dude, did you just go Daddy Yankee on it? <laughs> you can... <laughs> mad at you. For that Here's one. the thing: from a business perspective, Adolphus, you are one hundred percent right. <laughs> Their model for taking control of the music, creating the music, everything from the bizarre. Uh, pen and pixel artworks um, everything about what they were doing as a business model fantastic excellent as for the music come on come on it might not be my thing but I can respect what they were doing and what they were able to do um, because part of the point that we've been making here is that the problem isn't that certain music was being made. The problem is that the range of music started to contract. Yes. Right. And that's what we're really identifying here. So it's not like all of a sudden these West Coast rappers emerge or these Southern rappers emerge and everything is shot to hell. No. They were making music that touched on themes that hip hoppers had been addressing in their music from the moment the art form was created. So they were not unusual in that respect. What happened was, what had happened was the range was truncated. So before, like if you go through and look at those early charts, man, you can see everything from, you know, lighter, more fun kind of hip hop to the hard things. And what happens when you get to the early mid nineties is that everything's becoming harder and harder and harder. And that level of, of diversity, it's, it's being undercut. So I'm not gonna put all of this on the West Coast or on the South or on certain artists 
for making the kind of music that they wanted to make as 18, 19, 20, 21 year old dudes who are still trying to figure out who the hell they are. It was something that was much more symptomatic of a trend when the business interests were interested in putting out copycats to move product than developing talent. Yeah, and that's what we got into with 93 when all that with all the gimmicks started to pop up and yeah again as far as they're concerned you know i just don't from a strictly beats and rhymes and lyrics i i don't like it i don't like it one bit one iota but what i wanted you to tell me is what is the juvenile song that after we're done and i gone back and reflecting on my thoughts and opinions. What's the juvenile song I should be listening for? The one, what did you say it was? Paper Chaser? We were talking about Paper Chaser. Okay. Then if you just want to get ignorant, I don't. every once in a while, you just got to get ignorant. <laughs> back that expletive deleted up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's... Dude, you another, can't, you can't hear for the 99 and 2000 era and mm-hmm. not run to the dance floor. Yeah... I think I can I can probably <laughs> curtail my running to the dance floor, but you know. Oh, you would have probably been running to the ATM. <laughs> oh man! Well, here's here's another song. I'm gonna look on. Let me look at my iTunes real quick. Yeah, woo! It's well, in your well, iTunes. It's wow. in my iTunes. I'm but... gonna leave that alone as I look at the charts and see that. So after Outcast and Players Ball was dominating the charts for another six weeks then heavy d and the boys <clears throat> got me waiting uh had the top spot for the next rest in peace heavy d four weeks yeah definitely heavy d deep in the heart of the matter that was a dope album was that on was dope, um, dope song. which one was, was that on blue Blue Funk? I think that was Peaceful Journey. Peaceful Journey? Okay. Yeah, I think that was Peaceful Journey. Because um, I remember I got that and J. Rooted Damage at the same time. And those were in heavy rotation. Oh, okay. Wait, the... Yeah, because this was, that was the album that had Nothing But Love, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. Yep. Got nothing but love. Yeah, whatever. And, um, and those songs are so well produced. Like you can listen to those songs mm-hmm. today, and they sound so full. Those and part of it is Teddy Riley, but some of it is a lot of it's Eddie F. And those songs sound like they fill. Like if you play them, they fill up your speaker. They fill up your car. Those are very well produced songs. Eddie F. was home making a beat. Yep, exactly. Rockefeller smooth is on stage drinking Cisco. <laughs> Um, and speaking of production, <clears throat> Outcast, that was one of the the things that has and has always stood out with their music is the production was just uh, incredible and different. Mm-hmm. And it didn't sound like it's one of those things where I wouldn't even characterize it as their beats. It's like more than beats. They're like they have music. Yeah, the music, <laughs> musical production. Yeah. Right. 
It's um, like a plate at the family reunion where you get the good fried chicken, the good potato salad, macaroni and cheese and some greens. <laughs> yeah, that. <clears throat> and then after Heavy D, uh, let's see, one, two, was on the charts for four weeks. Then we get, oh my God. Okay. I'm no, but, sorry, but, but real quick, real quick though, I got to get this in. Yeah. Organized noise. Yes. Yes. Organized yes. noise, man. Like you got to shout out the people who were putting down the tracks, and yes. some of their best work was with Outcast. And again, open the door, created an opportunity to get more work and to put out more good music. And they were making phenomenal beats. Yes, no, they were. Music. <laughs> music. Yeah, it was dope. Um. And then, so uh, Outkast held it down, then Heavy D and the boys got me waiting. Then we get into <clears throat> Warren G and Nate D.O. Double G with Regulate, where... Held it down, too. Yeah. Where apparently they didn't get proper permission from Michael Bro. McDonald and uh, ran into some trouble with regard to the sample. But this was was and is just a classic uh, West Coast song, and my parents my parents always thought they were about to hear some Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Dude, the thing that makes the the wife and, and I crack up about this track is that when you're listening to the storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. The dude who's singing the hook was the hard one, right? Right. right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the, the you know, Nate Dogg reminds you of that dude who came up, you know, he was in the crew and he was hard. Might have been the hardest dude in the crew, but he was also singing at Grandma Church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's like that Omar type character, right? You know, he hard right. in the streets. He will clear the block, but he take Grandma to church every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's how he rolled in this joint, right? You know, he was like, I look up and man, there's my homie Nate. And you can hear the relief in Warren G's voice like, yo, it's the homie Nate. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 16 in the clip and one in the hole. I'm like, yo, why is the R&B dude about the ladies jokers fight? <laughs> Nate G about to make some bodies turn cold. Right. Yeah, they dog was like he was wildin', man. He was wildin', and then after that, he's right. He's like, okay, now that now that we done laid these fools down, let's get let's get back to hollering at these honeys, man. Because you know that's what I'm really out here for. I pull out my strap and let them bust it down. <laughs> it was see. it was it was crazy, man. It was it was it was hilarious. Yeah, hilarious storytelling. I hated this song. You hated it, really? <laughs> See? I hated this song. I hated this song, and I will say this: I gave them credit for making a story song because they told a story, and I always was impressed if a rapper could tell a story. They told a story. They told a story well. I hated this song. I hated this song so <laughs> much. It sounded like the softest piece of baby shit I've ever heard in my life. I oh, hated this song. Wow! Here we go. Wow. Softest piece of baby shit I've ever heard in my life. Oh Plus my goodness. I, I still don't like this. my home. Six six this one in the clip and one in the hole. Nate trying. Dog is about to make somebody's turn cold. Now they dropping and yelling. It's a tad bit late. Nate Dog and Warren G had to regulate. 
And I hate this song because of Warren G. Not because that's a very interesting. But yeah. Wow. Okay. Hey. Okay. Because you're about to hurt my heart. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> I feel like I feel like I feel like we I feel all. Like, I feel like black sheep on that deal I saw was there. No, no, no. <laughs> Hang on. If you won't skirt, sit back and observe. I just left a gang of those over there on the curb. Now they got the freaks, and that's a known fact. Before I got jacked, I was on the same track. Back up, back up, cause it's on N A T E N me. The woman to the G. Just like I thought they were in the same spot in need of some desperate head. A Nate Dog and the G Child were in need of something. Else. One of them names was sexy as hell. I said, Ooh, I like your size. She said, My chords broke down and just sing real nice. Would you let me ride? I got a car full of girls and it's going real swell. The next stop is the East Side. Hotel. Really? He was focused on completing the mission. <laughs> yeah, the mission, the dirty, filthy he was mission. Focused on mission completion. <laughs> wow. Rest yes. in peace, Nate Dog. I don't know. Maybe it's just yeah. Maybe it's just funny to me because I'm like, yeah, we all have somebody in the crew who was like that. That there are these things embodied in one person that shouldn't all be in one person, right? You can't be the smooth singing dude and then be the hardest dude in the crew roll around with the gat, but that's just who he happened to be. <laughs> all I know is I think Cedric the Entertainer makes this point that Nate Dogg can say the filthiest, most disgusting, depraved things but because he's singing it, kind of takes the edge off. Well, he didn't go, I mean, as far as misogyny goes, this was, this was standard. Like, there wasn't anything especially degrading in this track. They sound like two dudes that were out for a good time and, you know, had a little, you know, carjacking episode and then got back to the mission, right? Like, we can think of other things that he said and others did that were worse, right? You know, we were talking about the 93 Snoop album earlier, and Ain't No Fun, he leaves that off. Ain't No Fun is worse. Honestly, Ain't No Fun, just on a side note, Ain't No Fun is the song that made me stop uh, playing hip-hop as a DJ. Now I just play old school funk, soul, R&B. Um, I was doing a uh, doing a set, and ain't no fun. It <clears throat> it it lined up with the song that I had playing previously, and so I you know was just matching the beats and whatever, and threw it on, and it came on, and it matched up and synced up, and so it's playing, and Nate Dogg is singing the filthy hook that I heard you know verse that i'd heard millions of times but it was playing and i looked up and saw this sister on the other side of the room and she was also a dj she knew you know she wasn't she would play wilder stuff than than that but i looked at her and she looked at me and she didn't like uh give me any kind of dirty look or anything but at that moment, I was like, I can't, 
I can't in good conscience play shit like this. Like this is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And right. so from that moment on, like you know, maybe here in the house, I'll play, you know, play some hip hop, some Too Short, some Snoop, whatever. But out and about, mm-mm, nah, it's strictly breaks, funk, soul, old school R and B that won't get me, <laughs> make me feel like a piece of garbage after the record's done spinning. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. <laughs> I felt like I felt like the whole time in that story, I should have been in the back like, Ooh. wow. <laughs> Shout out to DJ AK-47 doing her thing. All right. So then after the G-Child uh, held it down for three weeks, one, two, three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. ten, eleven. We spent eleven weeks baptized in the funk because the brat with funk defied spent 11 weeks 11 weeks like the whole rest of the summer basically like the whole summer the entire summer Mm -hmm. at number one funk defied from the from the unofficial start of summer just about to the official, the unofficial end of summer. Yeah. To the unofficial end of summer, man. That was your Memorial Day to Labor Day track, man. That's what people were grooving to. That is, it's remarkable. <laughs> the entire summer. I mean, I remember when it came out, I had a summer job and I was driving my uncle. He had a little uh, Toyota Tercel and I got that single of Functified, and it was banging. I was driving all around with the windows down and Functified pumping. Um, so I'm part of the problem. But uh, 11 weeks. But that track wasn't troublesome to me. I mean, it was it was hip-hop in its purest form, right? It was party music, and it was fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with the song. I'm just marveling at the fact that it's been 11 weeks at number one because as you mentioned earlier that's what we've we started to see it in 93 now we're really seeing it in 94 but when we started this in 1989 90 91 92 there would be a different number one song every week if somebody held it down for two weeks that was a big deal and now all of a sudden you know we get the the corporate influence and we start to see things like this. The, the music video influence, too. I yeah. blame this on music video influence. Yeah. See, yeah. that's always my question, though, is did radio... I'd get the argument from radio people that, well, hey, whatever's popular on MTV, that's how we decide what to play. And then I would assume that the video people would be like, well, whatever's hot on the radio, that's what what we do. Dre, how does it work? Which which comes first, chicken or the egg? Video or the uh, payola to the radio station? Um, it depends on where you are. But definitely, especially back then, the television, what you saw on television was based on the bill, became based on Billboard. And I, I mean, and those are, the, those are the national shows. So like the shows like Rap City and UMT Raps, 
based off on what was hot on Billboard. Now, places like Video Music Box or local shows, you know, the the app, those kind of places, they kind of played a mixture. They, all, they were always trying, even shout out to the rhythm, always tried to play whatever was new. Uh-huh. So, the, so the locals, the local shows would play, would try to be like the mixtapes back in the day. They always try to get whatever was new. So we always wanted to play like the rhythm. We played like, we were the first people we played Wu-Tang. We played um, Put Your Hands so My Eyes Can See, that kind of stuff. But the, the national shows, it was all radio. It was all billboard. So it was, a, you know, so if you payoled the radio station or you had a DJ that was down with you or Jermaine Dupree was cool with a bunch of radio people in L.A. and Atlanta and New York and they played Functified, then their video would get played and it would like it would feed, it would keep feed the monster because it's like, oh, well, you know, the brass being played every week on Rap City or every week on Young T Raps. So then the radio would keep playing it. So it was, you know, after a while, once once you got put in it, this is right around that time. Once you got put into the matrix, you stayed in the matrix, which is why you have the brand on the charts for 11 weeks in a row. Radio stations, they call themselves black. We'll see if they'll play this. Yeah. They will. But, wow. but I think there are a couple of things going on, right? Like, so Jermaine Dupree's business acumen and insider knowledge cannot be undervalued in this instance, right? Not at all. Like, this is somebody that came up in the industry and knows it well. And wrote the song. And and they put out a dope product. And then, right, like if you know you have a banger, you're at that point now where you also know the video has to be amazing. Like this this might be the the high point for the hip hop music video. Like, I mean, really, this gave rise to a film. I mean, you get belly out of this, right? Yeah. Because the next thing was like, okay, the video has to be dope. You look at the way videos are made now, you know, videos were made to be seen on television screens. And now they're being made to be seen on mobile devices. So exactly. it's a completely different type of, you know, production. But at that moment, right, the video, man, if you had a dope video, that could keep you in rotation. And then that gets the people calling the radio station and paying 99 cent or whatever it was to get the video played on the box. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. they're, they're hitting up MTV and, and BET and these other places like, oh, we want to hear such and such. We want to see this. So it was, it was all those things coming together, I think. And again, it helped that they had a dope track. It was and it a helped, fun track, man. And it helped that Jermaine and his wisdom is known to copy. So he copied with the brat, he copied Snoop Dogg. Just like with Crisscross, he copied Naughty by Nature. He found what was hot at the time and he made what was hot at the time. Mm-hmm. So Funkified was straight from G Funk. She looked and she wore hair like Snoop was wearing his hair. She and that's what he did. See, it's interesting and sad at the same time that these brilliant promotional marketing and business moves come at the expense of the art form and obviously with i'm sure people who listen to punk rock music and other forms of music say the same thing that once money once there's a financial a huge financial corporate stake in something then it can't be what it once was and a lot of this is you know 
me reminiscing on the days when rappers were poor and the music was pure <laughs> and they did it for the love of the game, baby. Um, so I understand. But in looking at these charts, I was like getting kind of worried because I'm thinking like, damn, it's already like almost 1230 on the East Coast and we're only at the Mr. end Robot's of the summer. Is come on? Huh? Mr. Robot's about to come on? No, that wasn't that wasn't my point. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Robot's yeah. always on. You got the USA on demand with no fast forwarding possible. And aren't you aren't you DVRing this? No, I'm not. I intentionally don't have DVR. Oh, look at you, <laughs> protester. Um, I am. So the thing is, so we in 1904, we 1994, we had just gotten to the end of the summer. And I'm thinking like, damn, we still have like another couple of few months to go. But in looking at the chart, turns out <laughs> this is going to be quick and simple because it right is. after right after the brat gets finished um, dominating the summer. I mean, you talk about Drake and Jay-Z and Kanye and who who's winning the summer. Brett ran the summer in 94 and then September Third, the week of September third, nineteen ninety four. Uh, the number one song is "Tootsie Roll" by the Sixty Nine Boys. Butterfly, uh, uh-uh, uh, that's old. Let me act the tootsie roll. Boom, boom. I'm dancing. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah, I, I wish we had the. Well, I'm glad we don't have the video feed on. I don't want to see you over there <laughs> dropping it, doing the tootsie roll. Dude, <laughs> Senior Celebration '97. I was one of the two university class marshals. We're at senior celebration. I'm supposed to introduce the chancellor. They dropped this track. I was like, I'll be right back. And I ran out on the dance floor at Manly Fieldhouse with Dwayne Murray and a whole bunch of other people. And we started doing the tissue roll. Um, this was that point in the party when the Syracuse DJs would give you what I would call your uh, high intensity cardio workout. But they would throw like 69 boys, they throw Luke, they throw a whole bunch of Florida bass music out there, and people would be in a full sweat. Wow. Good times, good times. And for anyone who was fortunate enough not to be around in September of 1994, <laughs> this is what he's talking about. The butterfly, uh uh-uh, uh, that's old, let me see the tubes are Yeah, 1994. 69 boys backed up by the quarantine. the garbage to the garbage to the garbage oh my god um yeah why can't people have fun man they can the I, people have I, fun listen i hate i hate songs that tell me how to dance don't tell me what steps to do <laughs> that might be the why oldest you on old the man hokey pokey? did don't, you not don't like the hokey pokey dude i didn't like the hokey pokey i don't i <laughs> That's don't what it's all uh, about i don't bus stop i don't electric slide i don't do any of that that might have been. You are no fun at the family reunion or the wedding. I at my wedding they played the electric slide, and there's a picture of everybody doing it. And I'm standing in the back. Hey. So you did let the people have fun. 
I I didn't want them to. <laughs> that might have happy been life, happy life. The most get, get off my lawn statement <laughs> in the history of this podcast. I don't like people telling me how to dance. <laughs> I, hate, I will not dance on a boat. I will not dance on a boat. Exactly. I hate black pepper. <laughs> Yo, he went. I don't like green eggs and ham. No, I, I don't. I don't. Boo. Booty ass boo. Boo the tootsie roll boo. I thought I was angry and mad about my hip hop. This one said, I don't like any song where they tell me how to dance. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, all I all I have is a vision of him like the Death Squad baby with his <laughs> hands over his ears like, no! Yep, that's me. Well, oh, man. Fortunately, come on now, you gotta admit, now we were in those same spaces. You gotta admit, if we were at a shine party and they dropped us, people got on the dance floor. People got on the dance floor? I wasn't on the dance floor. I would just look at them and say, why are you doing a coordinated Janet Jackson dance in the middle of a party? Damn. So then why have that moment in House Party then? That was a coordinated dance. You hated that? That was a movie. <laughs> and then everybody started doing it at home. You never went to a party and people had routines? No. Not me. I didn't. I didn't do a routine. <laughs> I just danced. A routine. <laughs> No. I'm, not a dan- I'm not a Janet Jackson uh, dancer. A routine. <laughs> I'm not doing choreography. Wow. <laughs> a routine. Oh my gosh, man. I'm so happy I'm able to contain my delirium right now because <laughs> I do not want to wake up these children. I'll tell you this. We only had to put up with the 69 boys and Tootsie Roll for one week. So they came back. They came back. Spoiler alert. Hello. We're trying to came back. We we know that, but we're trying to follow a narrative. We're only on September 3rd. (laughs) There you go. Just jumping out the box. (laughs) Oh, pardon me. Oh, as I come back. (laughs) Yeah. Let's let's uh, try this again. Heal up. Wheel up. Bring it back. Come rewind. (laughs) So, after the week of September 3rd and the 69 boys and Tootsie Roll, then we get boy, boy, we get Craig Mack. Understand? How you understand you on that Mary joint? I know, right? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Craig Mack, and this is uh, just classic hip hop flavor in your ear um i mean i don't know what what there is to say about it anyone who's listening to this podcast obviously knows the song um craig mack sort of grand opening grand closing but mm-hmm. but what a way to you be won't remembered. be around next year that was prophetic <laughs> that was the ironic Damn. arc that was prophetic Crazy. A cruel twist of fate. Yeah. And so that stayed on the charts for four weeks. And then, lo and behold, the 69 boys were like, 
to hell with that. We're not taking that from you, Craig Mack. And they came back for the next five weeks and said, we are taking the number one spot. No, 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 no. They had one week. Huh? They had one Did week. They? Yeah, you got to look at, look at oh, the chart again. Wow. Yeah, look Wait at the a chart minute. again. There's a resurgence. Okay. So Tootsie Roll, Tootsie Roll came back for the week of October 8th. And then, as I flipped the page, I thought I saw a gray line. But no, there is no gray line. Because mm-hmm. Craig Mack came back like a monster. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. For the next ten and we were weeks. Talking about, we were talking about this, right? And we were trying to figure out, like, yo, what is with the resurgence of flavor in your ear? They act like they hadn't heard it before. And then Black Cloud put it out there. Black Cloud was like, it was the remix. It was the remix. Because you know they had because yeah. you know they had to do a remix. Yeah. The remix came and took over. So mm-hmm. let's see if we can get a let's see. So Flavor in Your Ear, the original single was released on vinyl, 12 inch in July ninety-four. Then Puffy had to go around paying off uh, <laughs> radio station DJs, and then he had to pay back for that song. Yeah, of course not. Nah, not Puffy. Take that, take, take that, take, take that. that. So <laughs> let's see. I'm trying to see when did the remix. I mean, this had to have been the remix, right? Because yeah. oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, because the remix, the remix hit after the summer, or at the end of the summer. And that so. was right, and that was fall 94 for me, mm-hmm. and I remember when we got back to the yard, that had been the hit of the summer, and just in time to be back at the yard, they had the remix, and you throw out, you know, Biggie on the lead verse, right. and, you know, I mean, he, he crushed it, you know, he crushed it. And I remember watching like the hip hop honors and you know they were inducting uh Rap a lot records. Mm-hmm. And dude from Rap a lot was like, Yeah, I felt like we'd arrived because Biggie gave us a dope shout out on the Flavor in the Air remix, like not from Houston, but a rap a lot. Yeah. Yep. And he was like, you know, that was a dope affirmation for us and a recognition of our hustle game down here. And then what was it? Um the thing that I hated about the remix, I hated LL's verse on the remix because it made no sense given what everyone else was talking about but then um what was it dre you had a story about that yeah i heard ll tell a story that he recorded two different verses and one was a regular hard verse and then the other one was him playing around and putting in all of these uh private jokes and stuff into his verse which was the verse that ended up being on the remix and so puff when he saw puff again puff said oh i used the second verse and he was like the Yishi verse? And he said, yep. And that's the verse that stuck. And I wish that we could ever hear that original, like, whatever that verse was, like, L just spit. Damn. Dude, and, and, and I'm glad you say that, right? Because, you know, earlier I was cracking about Drake being the evolution of Big Daddy Kane in common, but you can put in the middle of that LL, right? Yeah. yeah LL you know, is one of the ladies, man. Right, but but you know the point is that Kane, Common, LL, yeah, they could be the ladies' man. But if you want to, if you want to have beef on a track, they will slaughter you, right? 
And so I wanted to see that LL. Yeah. You know, the the to the break of dawn LL, the four three two one LL. Yeah. We didn't get to see that. So I felt like I got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> we we got was robbed. Notitious. I still and, and Buster Rhymes did his thing on there too. Yeah, Buster Buster killed that song. He killed it. So yeah, it Perfect was clearly anchor. clearly that had to and shout out the rampage in it. Wow for the night. Yeah, wow. shout out the right. rampage. One time, two times, three times. Well, I'm going to uh, <laughs> say that. Craig Mack, I mean, 10 weeks. So if you look back, how many did we say he... So he had... Uh, three. He had 14 yeah, weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. yeah. And then and another then 10. 10. Yeah. I mean, basically, he spent three months, three and a half months, roughly, on top of the charts. Yep. And that's something. But here's the curious thing. On the week of December 24th, 1994, here come the goddamn 69 boys <laughs> back. Yo. And, this, and this ain't a remix. <laughs> this is still no. the same old joint. Tootsie Roll. Yo, it's like the Austin Powers flick, man. Like the first one. He's like, why won't you die already? And just... And to just give you a hint because I don't even think there's a really a reason to do 1995 but Tootsie Roll finished off the last two weeks of 1994 and the first three weeks of 1995 at number one numero uno I do think 95 is an important year though and the reason I say that you can see, you know, folks starting to go off the rails in 93. It intensifies in 94. It becomes dangerous and violent in 95. Like 95, it stopped being about wax and people started taking these things much too seriously. And it created an environment where people ultimately died because of some foolishness on wax. Wow. Yeah. So you convinced me. You I know, think, yeah, ninety-five. And it was a to... point. And it ahead. was a point right where if you were, you know, a New York head and you went out to L.A. and you were hanging with people, it'd just be like, "Oh, where are you from out there? Okay, cool. Well, let let us show you how we do our hair." And it would just be chill, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, "You from New York, man? Yo, f New York. You know, are you from L.A. to f L.A.?" And cats were like ready to fight and die over some foolishness on a record. Between people, they didn't know. Yeah. Like, th that's when you you talk about going off the rails? Yeah. Yeah. 95, 96, man. It got ugly. It got ugly and blow with shit. Well, it started off ugly because Tootsie Roll was number one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... It's Sadly, stunning that's the hot and point. shocking because you figure September 3rd is when Tootsie Roll reached number one. 
and let's assume the song didn't enter the charts at number one. So it came in some point in the summer beneath Functified and bubbled up to the top on September 3rd. And you're telling me September 3rd, 1994. And you're telling me that in on January 28th, Oh, I'm sorry, January 21st, 1995? It's number one again? Bruh, I'll say this. It was the precursor to a phenomenon like who let the dogs out. <laughs> yeah. Because all of a sudden, dude played that for Lark, for a Alex Rodriguez's walk-up music when he was playing for the Seattle Mariners. They put that on for his walk-up music. And it took off. Even though the record, they they you know they made that track long before that, and it just was stale. So, if something like that can become a phenomenon, why not the '69 Boys, man? Yeah, and I <clears throat> I forget when it was, but I was in Chicago working at an auto parts store one summer, and it was when the Bulls were just running roughshod. And there was Woomp, there it is. And then there was Woot, there it is. And they were both equally popular. (laughs) And people would come into the auto parts store and they used to have like all the car stereos mounted on a wall and you could test out the combination of speakers and, uh, and decks. And man, if I didn't hear both of those songs about 5,000 times that summer. What was it, 95 South and Tag Team? Yes. Because there were two different groups, right? 95 Uh South and Tag Team. Yep. One was Woomp, there it is, and one was Woot, there it is. I remember when they performed both those songs on Arsenio Hall show, and it was like the battle of Woot and Woomp, there it is. Really? And and it was a sad day for hip-hop. But it was a good day day for rap music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah, a great that's still, day for, that's still arena music nowadays. Yeah. It's a great day for now, choreographed dancing. Now did they did they also settle the the dispute between who had the power? Ooh. <laughs> Chill Rob G and Snap. Ooh, I always felt funny. like Chill Rob G had more to say. Oh he had something to say, period. You know, that was that was a that was a black nationalist record. The other dude was like, I will attack and you don't want that. Wow. It was like if the Incredible Hulk made an album Hulk Smash. <laughs> wow. And on that sad sixty nine boys note, nineteen ninety four draws <laughs> to a close. Um, again, I think that we've kind of already passed the point at which there was a problem. You guys let me know, because while there are clearly topics and things to discuss, especially East Coast, West Coast, and uh, that whole thing, I think as far as using the charts to discern trends and things like that we've already identified it yeah the the corporate money came in there's a lack of diversity and i think what we would probably start to see 
if we went further through this is then you start to get a thing where there's similar sounds because even mm-hmm. though functified flavor in your ear and uh, Tootsie Roll dominated the charts for the last half of 1994. Those are distinctly different songs. But if you get in, once you get into the 2000s, and especially this era we're in now, the songs and the MCs sound so similar that it's clearly someone at a record company saying, wait, this sound is hot. We need a rapper that sounds like this guy. And that's what we get. Um, early on, we saw so much diversity because there was no financial incentive to sound like someone else. And as a matter of fact, if you sounded like someone else, you might get checked. But this is where we are. So you guys have any final thoughts on 1994? I think 94 is the... That's the aftermath. 93 to me is the year that it all went askew. Yeah, 93, you see all of the major elements coming together. And then 94, you see what they produce. And I think 95, 96, you see how they drove the industry into madness. Yeah. Because in an effort to get greater and greater profits, people created a beef. Yeah. And the consequences were were deadly. You know, I remember, you know, listening to some of the disc records that Pac was putting out like, yo, he's actually Bishop now. He's become Bishop. Like, it was no longer a character. You know, he was... Like when he called out Mob Deep, like, yo, y'all, don't one of y'all got sickle, sickle cell messing yeah. me and you have a seizure. You know, like yeah. he was, yeah, he was like, it was Insane. like listening to a madman in the booth. Yeah. You know, and so that came from somewhere, right? And you see the consequences of when you put people on this path and think that they're not going to follow it all the way to its furthest extent. Yeah. So yeah, 93, it got bad. 94, it picks up. 95, 96, it's awful. That was awful. So 94 is the aftermath. So I think um, I make a motion that we accept 1993 as the official year that hip-hop began to go off the rails. Can I get a second? Motion to second it. All those in favor, say Aye. Aye. Then the decision is unanimous to get off my lawn podcast from this day forward. Uh, will forever claim 1993 as the year that hip hop went off the rails, down a steep slope, over a cliff, <laughs> into a ravine. What exploded in a ball of fire. <laughs> and I appreciate you guys taking time midweek uh, to do this so we can uh, hammer this out. Um, you make it sound like hip hop got jumped by the chicken from Family Guy. <laughs> right. <there's, laughs> no, because at least Peter Griffin fights back. 
<laughs> we got put in one of those old school uh, NWA four horsemen sleeper holes and hip hop just went to sleep and we need the referee to come in and slap hip hop on the back wake it up um, because it's it's sad and I don't know if you heard the last episode because uh, I got into I finally listened to that Kanye album so I'm sure Dre will have some thoughts on that uh, when we Life of Pablo yeah when we reconvene um and plus something else we're gonna get into is this idea of hip-hop hypocrisy and there is an article at theliberator.com t-h-a-l-i-b-e-r-a-t-o-r.com that you can check out talking about uh snoop and the game um now trying to present themselves as peacemakers in light of their uh, nearly two decades of feeding into the worst stereotypes about black men and celebrating gang violence and gunplay. So while you're looking at back episodes of uh, Get Off My Lawn podcast, you can also go there and see pictures of East Coast Dre in the Rex and Effect video, looking at the girl's booty. You can click on the picture to watch the video. Uh, you can click on the picture to see the fat, fat bubble goose jacket that uh, <laughs> you got it. The triple that, the fat goose. that the professor was rocking <laughs> before he got shouted out. Um, Yo, the shame, the shame is still with me, man. That, that, that jacket was warm. That's my favorite story from <laughs> this series of podcasts. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen. What I might do, just for the people who do subscribe and get the automatic downloads uh, onto your devices, I'm probably going to go back and remaster the first two or three episodes because the the levels were just way off and since they're going to be archived uh if anybody wants to go back and refamiliarize themselves with a podcast then i want them to have a good listening experience i know when i find a new podcast i usually go back and listen to the very first episode to kind of determine whether or not it's something i want to uh subscribe to so for everybody who is a subscriber, if you happen to get episodes one and two showing up on your device, I apologize. But once I remaster those and replace the old episodes, it might set in motion a chain of events where uh, those two episodes re-download to your device. So I apologize for that. I apologize to... Uh, any women I may have offended with my little Kim comments, I offended for not, I'm sorry for not having a more diverse panel, but what I'm not sorry for is blasting little Kim, juvenile, and the 69 boys. Period. Um, but hey, it could be worse. I could be, uh, East Coast Dre talking about, I don't want any song to ever tell me how to dance. Oh, you can't forget the first disc, though, man. The first disc was like, 
set the table. <laughs> Rich homie Quan for forgetting the lyrics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. What a joke. What a joke. A total, <laughs> complete joke. So, uh, I appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedules to, uh, you know, help us work through these critical hip-hop issues. And, uh, oh, well, I apologize. I just... Yeah, I'm a bad political scientist tonight. I should have been watching the DNC in uh, 44. Lucky lefty. <laughs> Man. But the yeah. word on the street is that Barry brought the heat tonight. Really? Oh, yeah, the word on the street is Barry brought the heat, but he had to because, you know, Joe Biden went, went uh, Incredible Hulk on him tonight. Oh, yeah, he did it. Nice. Yeah, Joe Biden came out the, you know, the theme from Rocky. You know, he had to set it off. Well, can we, speaking of speeches, I mean, be remiss now that we've ventured into those waters. Michelle Obama. Woo. Man. Dude. I'm ready to vote for her. Me too. Incredible speech. I was up there like, you know, because after they had the whole plagiarism thing, right? Because this comes into my profession. And yes, whoever wrote that speech not only plagiarized a major section of Michelle Obama's talk where she was speaking about values, they also rickrolled Melania Trump. (laughs) Right. She got rickrolled. Like, there's a point in her talk where she said, he will never give you up. He will never let you down. <laughs> she got rickrolled. <laughs> you know, so for those who are unfamiliar, man, Rick Astley, 80s pop artist, you know, the whole point, you go looking for a Prince video, and instead of a Prince video, you got never going to give you up. <laughs> yeah, she got rickrolled in the talk. And so that creates, I think, heightened expectations for Michelle Obama, who then gives the talk that she gave, and she crushed it. She crushed it. Yeah. You know, and so I think that if the Democrats are smart, they're going to send her into places to target and galvanize certain segments of voters because, you know, her favorability numbers are really high. She gave a great talk. And this isn't a woman whose greatest accomplishment was marrying the man who would become president. She was a Princeton-educated, Harvard-educated attorney and healthcare professional who was making more bank than him before he became president. So this is an accomplished woman, and they can deploy her in ways that would be advantageous to the party because, you know, otherwise we get President Trump. Yeah, they better they better do what they need to do because she was spectacular, and yeah, she rocked it. And then did you hear this clown O'Reilly talking about hey 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 at least the slaves who built the White House they were they were well fed and uh, and had decent lodging. It's like, 2016 and people are still perpetuating the happy darky character. Like motherfuckers, they were slaves. There were no they time were clocks slaves. and. <laughs> lunch breaks what are you talking you know, about what he what he you know this reminds me of man this reminds me of when chris rock had that routine where he was like the most racist people are old black people <laughs> right and he was like old black people will smile in your face and want to cut you behind your back yeah you know <laughs> yeah that dynamic that he doesn't appreciate right people could fake happiness 
They would right. wear the mask. They grinned and lied. It hide. It hid their tears and shaded their eyes. Like they were playing them full. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think people thought Nat Turner was real happy too. <laughs> right. But to even say it just speaks volumes about his mentality. I mean, not that we needed any other um, <laughs> evidence to confirm what we already knew to be true, but. Damn. It was only Here we go. later on they named it the White House. But Adams was in there with Abigail, and they were still hammering nails. The construction was still going on. Slaves that worked there were well-fed and had decent lodgings provided by the government, which stopped hiring slave labor in 1802. However, the feds did not forbid subcontractors from using slave labor. So Michelle Obama is essentially correct in citing slaves as builders of the White House. But there were others working as well. Slaves. Hold on, hold on. Now, he made it sound like they were living in the housing projects, getting free lunch from the free yeah. lunch program. And he, Provided and he was by lying. the government. And he was lying because it's a quote from Abigail Adams who says that the, that the slaves building the White House barely were clothed and looked hungry all the time. <laughs> Abigail Adams, you know, you're talking about first ladies, right? Right. Abigail Adams was an anti-slavery person and she was an early advocate for women's rights when john adams went with the crew to draft what would become the second constitution she said to them don't forget the ladies of course they did but she was someone who also abhorred slavery and Mm -hmm. she was in the minority on both of those issues so it's a terrible mischaracterization of where abigail adams was on the issue and it is deeply held sincere fiction that these people our people were treated in some sort of humane way their labor was exploited their bodies were broken and i think it's important to mention that right because those are the same lies that allow people to turn a blind eye when freddie gray is murdered and no one is held responsible for his death right exactly i can draw a straight line from that cavalier casual attitude about slavery to this position that we're in now where a black person is slaughtered a brown person is slaughtered and rather than looking at the police like well why did you do this we're looking for reasons to justify their death well you know he stole some cigarettes right Uh, he was a bad kid he wasn't that bright he got in trouble in school yeah you know we bringing up third grade report cards as a reason to justify an extrajudicial murder yeah. And yeah, you didn't you didn't got me angry at the end of the podcast. No, I'm <laughs> speaking of going off the rails. No, I'm <laughs> I'm right there with you because I remember like I was reading uh some statements and it, I believe it was the uh uh the DA or I suppose Freddie Gray said that you know, we could have our case is solid, but because of you know this existing prejudice we could have brought this case a thousand times and had the same outcome every time until there's well, some well, let me say this for your listeners um and this is important to note when you know the rules on how to go through a case vary from one state to the next because each state has its own criminal law its own civil law and when you look at the gray cases each of the officers had a choice to make. Do you want a trial by jury 
or do right. you want a judge trial? Mm-hmm. And each of the officers elected to have a judge trial. And when you right. have a judge trial, you're not having to convince a jury of your peers. You're just trying to convince one person. Right. And you look at a lot of those judges in Maryland, they were probably at this point appointed by uh, Ehrlich, who was a Republican governor for a number of years there. And, you know, governors pick judges that share their ideology and viewpoints. And so that's why they were losing in court. It wasn't about convincing a jury who might have given them a conviction. It was about convincing a judge who wasn't predisposed to the argument. Yeah. And so, you know, they saw what was ahead of them and they just gave up. Yeah. And it was actually, uh, wasn't the DA, it was the uh, Baltimore state's attorney uh, who was basically saying her quote was without real substantive reforms to the criminal justice system, we could try this case a hundred times and cases just like it and still end up with the same result. So yeah, what a, what a way to end with uh, 69 boys, slavery and the death of Freddie Gray. No one being yeah, held accountable. Saying Black Lives Matter since 1619. Man. Yeah, we have. Well, that's a, yeah. Yeah, these are definitely some issues we, I think we're going to have to get into on one of these uh, coming podcasts because there's a lot to get into and a lot of things that hip hop used to be at the fore uh, of bringing to people's attention um, that sadly uh, the ball is being dropped. But hey, fumble. Uh, but yeah once again uh, thank you guys appreciate your time and I will I think I'm gonna end this off I'll drop in that flavor in your ear remix just so we can boy listeners can go away uplifted with a with a positive uh, (laughs) positive sound in their ear unless that LL verse is he last no, no Buster's last. Okay, Buster good. Was the anchor good. verse. Buster's good. Last. All right. I think he was after um, my man Rampage. All right. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. So, once again, get off my lawn podcast, download episodes on iTunes or at theliberator.com. Uh, it's been good catching up with you guys, and I'll check you out on the next episode. Peace. Always a Peace. pleasure. I know we had to do a remix, right? Man, I get more butt than ass trays. Fuck a fair one, I get mine the fast way. Ski mask way, nigga ransom notes. Far from handsome, but damn a nigga tote much. More guns than roses, foes is shaking in their boots. A visible bully, like the gooch disappear, vamoose, you whack to me. Take them rhymes back to the factory. I see the gimmicks, the whack lyrics, the shit is depressing. Pathetic, please forget it. You're mad cause my style you're admiring. Don't be Bad UPS is hiring. You should have been the cop. Fuck hip hop. With that freestyle, you're bound to get shot. Not from Houston, but I rap a lot. Pack the gap a lot. The flame's about to drop. Here comes a brand new flavor in your ear. Time for new flavor in your ear. I'm just kicking new flavor in your ear. Like a brand new flavor in your ear.
no rap, no crap, you bore me. Wanna grab my dick, too lazy, hold it for me. I'm straight, that great, bust the head straight and dreads, I'm everlasting. Like it's so on pro cash, a tech nine. When I rhyme, plus I climb, will this bond? Your album couldn't fuck with one line. It's been three years since your last year, but now I reappear, your heart pumps fear. To your gut, did your girl's butt. I scraped it, shaped it, now she won't strut. I smash teeth, fuck your beef, no relief. I step on stage, girls scream like I'm Keith. You won't be around next oh, year. My rap's too severe, kick it by flavor in your head. Good comes a brand new flavor in your head. Time for new flavor in your head. Motherfucking hardcore, it's my time to burn to explore The flavor in your ear is the boy scout I make outs, I make all the rappers have doubts right. You're fucking right. with the wrong clan and the wrong man, that's it Now you got to get your dome split I'm going into my knapsack with my cat Take off my hat, yes I'm just cool like that The dangerous, the ruggedness from the flappers abyss BLS 97 kiss bastard is I'm gonna live long in this rap game Niggas know my name, yo Puffy You're jingling, baby. You're jingling, baby. Uh, bloatitious. Skeevy, delicious. Give me couscous, love me good. Mm, damn, Hollis to Hollywood, but is he good? I guess like the jeans. Uh, flavor like praline. Sick daddy, I mean. Papa love it when he does it. Niggas buzz it. But tell me, was it really just the flavor that be clogging your ears? The most healthy behavior is to stay in the clear. It's all for you. It's really all for you. Punch back, close your eyes, try to munch that. Oil up your ankles, let your Tim's tap. Bite the flavor, it reacts to your dope caps. Word to mama, a tongue kiss up a rana. Electrocuted barracuda, I'm here to bring the drama. Yo, 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 flavors in your ass grease. Watch the vibes about to bring the noise on the Let me lose some of the belly of the beast. Everybody, hey, hey, hey. You better believe it's Buster Rhymes the way we about to rip the tri state. Yo, yo, hey, hey, hey. I split your face and give you stitches. Throw niggas in ditches. Slap the ass on fat bitches. Wait one second. If I get down, I'm rolling with the heavyweight connect through the stomping ground. Now, don't you get suspicious. Grant your wishes every time. Bring it vicious when I bust the back. I know one thing the whole world is expecting is how we all connected. The break fool on the same record. Five new flavors on the beat. Feel the fucking heat. I really think you should be cheap while we blow up the streets. Instead of copping, please just freeze. Maintain the focus while we smoke these marijuana trees. When I get down, I disappear. Reappear and blow up everywhere. Fucking with these flavors in your Time for new flavor. 